Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast. As always, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to start as we always do and thank some of our patrons before we get into the episode. So a big thank you to Stace, Helen, Sarah, Diane, Tienda, Sarah with a J, Fiona, Irini, Maddie, Suzanne and Megan R. We appreciate everyone who's signed up and shown us their support. Thanks so much for that, guys. And with that, I'll pass you over to Bill to get into this week's episode. Jennifer Beard was a 25-year-old woman in 1969. She was born in Crewkern, Somerset, England, to her minister father, Murray Beard, and her mother, Betty. She grew up with a brother and three sisters. When Jennifer finished high school, she trained to become a teacher and travelled to Tasmania in Australia to explore. She stayed with her uncle, Dr Trevor Beard, and his wife Joan in Campbelltown, 80 kilometres from Hobart. While in Tasmania, Jennifer worked at a private Quaker-run boarding school named Friends School, which was the school Joan and Trevor's children attended. She was reportedly well-liked and respected at the school, and she enjoyed her work there. She was also an avid bushwalker and had become a member of the Hobart Bushwalking Club where she met a 35-year-old man, Reg Williams. The two developed a close relationship and there were strong feelings on both parts. Jennifer's uncle described her as follows. She came out with a feeling of adventure. She was interested to see what the world was like. She was quite tall, quite attractive and intelligent, musical. After some time, Jennifer decided that she was going to meet up with some members of her bushwalking group in New Zealand to do some mountain climbing. This included her boyfriend, Reg Williams. They would be travelling over at different times and then meeting up later, so Jennifer would be doing some solo travelling first. Jennifer had strong feelings for Reg, writing in a letter to her friend, I have been climbing lately with a climbers club and I have developed a lovely friendship with a member of the club. He is called Reg and is quite a bit older than me. He is also going to New Zealand, but I won't see him until I go down to the Darren Ranges. If we both feel the same when we come back from New Zealand, we will announce our engagement. I suppose it's not right to tell people beforehand, but we are very sure. It has been a quick romance, but we have known each other for quite a while beforehand. I am so deeply happy with him and I've admired him for a long time. On the 19th of December, 1969, Jennifer Beard arrived at Christchurch Airport with nothing but her backpack. People from the South Island of New Zealand would remember that time as a time where heavy rain was breaking a six-month drought. The first thing Jennifer did when she got to New Zealand was go to Mount Cook to complete a short climbing course. She completed that and then accompanied by her new climbing instructor, she hitchhiked down to Pukaki before the pair went their separate ways. Jennifer continued to hitchhike, which was more common in those days. She was carrying nothing but her H-frame canvas backpack, which contained her sleeping bag, tent, camera and $300 in traveller's checks. Jennifer stayed at various camping grounds over the next few days and many people she met along the way remembered the tall, well-spoken English woman with very long, wavy, bleached hair. She made a favourable impression on everyone that she met 
and even camped with a number of people she came across. At the same time that Jennifer was travelling through the South Island of New Zealand, a man by the name of Gordon Bray was travelling the same loop, but in the opposite direction. Gordon Bray was a 50-year-old truck driver, described physically as having a solid build and a beer belly. He was driving a 1954 Vauxhall, which is something to take note of for later in the episode. And I've never heard of this car, but I think this was quite a popular car back in the 50s. He lived a simple life in Timaru. His family described him as gentle, kind and friendly. On Boxing Day 1969, he left his home to go on a solo fishing and camping trip. Jennifer Beard and Gordon Bray would end up in the same area, Franz Joseph, on the 30th of December 1969. Bray had stayed in the area before. According to him, he was staying in a tent about half a mile from the Forks Hotel, which was where he would spend some time drinking over the next couple of weeks. Jennifer was also staying in Franz Joseph at the Franz Joseph Motor Camp, which was a popular place to stay in the area. Also staying at the Franz Joseph Motor Camp was a group of three families driving convoy on holiday from Dunedin. Little did these people know they would become the key witnesses in a murder case. While cooking in the shared kitchen at the motor camp, the families came across Jennifer Beard, who was by herself. They formed the impression that she has just arrived at the camp. The families later recalled that Jennifer was quiet and reserved and she ate her meal alone in the kitchen. Two of the women from the group ran into her again later in the bathroom while they were washing up for the night. They got into a conversation and Jennifer told the women she was hitchhiking and travelling alone and would be meeting up with friends in a few days. After this friendly but brief conversation, Jennifer went off to have a shower and the two women finished their makeup and headed off. The next day, on the 31st of December 1969, there was a light northwesterly breeze with the possibility of showers. The group of families from Dunedin were making their breakfast in the shared kitchen when they saw Jennifer and engaged with her in polite conversation. Her plan that morning was to continue her journey towards Milford Sounds to meet up with her friends. She was planning to hitchhike. When the family group was getting ready to leave, they saw Jennifer packing up and also getting ready to leave. The family group then went to see the Franz Joseph Glaciers before heading back past the motor park to continue on their journey. As they passed the motor park, one of the members of the group, Glenis Kinley, who was one of the women from the bathroom the night before, thought she saw Jennifer getting into a green or blue car. The driver of the car was a lone man. Glennis immediately got a bad feeling. She said to her husband, I don't like that guy. I don't want her to get in the car. The family group drove for a while before all meeting in a car park rest area. While there, they noticed a green car nearby with the same girl, Jennifer Beard, sitting in it. The man who Glennis recognised as the driver was standing next to the car. She described him as having roughly combed dark hair, large stomach and between 40 to 50 years old. At one stage, she noticed Jennifer out of the car taking some photos. When the family group was getting ready to leave, they noticed that Jennifer and the man were gone. Further along their journey, they came across the green-coloured car, which was a Vauxhall Velo, travelling quite slowly. 
They overtook the car and Glennis glanced over as they passed. She saw that the driver and Jennifer were talking and Jennifer didn't look too impressed. Glennis would later state, he is the last person I would travel with. He was an evil-looking bugger. Further along, at Haast Otago, which is approximately two and a half hours from Franz Joseph, a family, the Crossens, had stopped to have their lunch. When they finished their food, they went for a walk to a nearby bridge to get some photos. They spotted a car, which was a green or blue Vauxhall, near the bridge with its bonnet up. The man in the driver's seat of the car was revving the motor and seemed to be having trouble starting the car. Bill Crossan, the dad of the family, yelled out to the man, Are you in trouble? The man reportedly replied something along the lines of, Do you know anything about gearboxes? Bill replied that he didn't. Bill remembers trying to communicate with and help the man, but he was very evasive and non-communicative. After around 15 minutes of working on the car, Bill and the man got it up and running and the man sped off without so much as a thank you. Soon after this encounter, a man in a green or blue Vauxhall showed up at a local mechanic's garage. He told the mechanic that he needed a spring fixed in his gearbox. Presumably, this is the same man that the Crossens helped at the Haast Bridge. About half an hour later, the Crossens were driving and towing their caravan behind them, when the same car they had seen at the bridge came up behind them and overtook them. They were irritated by the experience as the man didn't honk or make any attempt to wave at them or acknowledge the help they had provided him at the bridge. Later during their journey, the same car overtook them again. This was strange as they couldn't remember passing it. They assumed it must have pulled off the road at some point, allowing them to pass before catching up and overtaking again. This was the last time they saw the car or the man. So why are we putting so much emphasis on this man near the bridge when the episode is about Jennifer Beard? Well, Jennifer never showed up to meet her boyfriend or the climbing group. On the 5th of January, 1970, Reg Williams had left a note at the local post office for Jennifer, which she was supposed to pick up when she got into the area, but she never picked it up. The note was to tell Jennifer how to make contact with him and how to meet up as obviously in the 60s and 70s there were no mobile phones. Initially, Reg just thought that Jennifer must be off having fun. After a few days of checking in with the post office and realising that Jennifer wasn't coming to get the note, the police were contacted. They initially looked into Reg as a potential suspect in Jennifer's disappearance, but his alibis checked out. On Tuesday the 13th of January, 1970, Jennifer's name appeared in the newspapers for the first time. The newspaper said, Police are still wanting information regarding the whereabouts of visiting school teacher Miss Jennifer Mary Beard, 25, who was last seen at the Franz Joseph Glacier on the 31st of December. It was when the story broke in the newspaper, along with a photo of Jennifer, that the group that was travelling from Dunedin recognised her. Pauline McIlroy, one of the women from the group, reportedly said to her husband that night, I know that woman. We were talking to her at Franz Joseph. It was at this point that they had phoned the police to give them their information about Jennifer hitchhiking and the car they saw her get into. One of the other women from the group, who we mentioned before, Gladys Kindley, saw a photo of Jennifer on TV and called the police immediately. 
She would later state that she had the feeling straight away that Jennifer was dead. As soon as Dr Beard heard the news that his niece was missing, he flew over from Tasmania to Haast to be closer to the area where Jennifer was last seen. He made it very clear to the media that this was extremely out of character for Jennifer. Police had gathered information from multiple different witnesses and one piece of information that seemed consistent was that the man last seen with Jennifer was driving a Vohol that was either green or greeny-blue. The main detective assigned to Jennifer's case was Detective Emmett Mitten. It wasn't long before the case was being treated as a potential homicide. Back in those days, it was very hard to get a homicide investigation up and running. Technology was pretty basic and there was no DNA testing or anything like that. On Monday the 19th of January, newspapers reported police are looking for a 1953 to 1955 Vohol, painted mid to dark green with a matte finish and looking uncared for. The car is thought to have a noisy exhaust. Patches of primer or other light-coloured paint were on the front passenger door and possibly other areas. The car generally appeared in poor condition and was covered with dust. Printed in the dust were the words, please clean me. The Crossens told the police about the man in the Vauxhall that they had helped at Haas River Bridge at approximately 1.20 on the 31st of December 1969. This was the information that prompted police to go to the Haas Bridge to investigate. Not long after they arrived at the bridge, one of the detectives walked under the bridge and sadly came across Jennifer, deceased and partially clothed. She had been obscured by some bushes and exposed to the elements. Her pants were neatly rolled down around her knees and she was still wearing her hiking boots. The clothing on the upper half of her body was pulled up around her neck. After some examination, police concluded that perhaps she was going to the bathroom when she was attacked and sexually assaulted. It was believed that she was attacked and killed at the same spot where her body was found. No cause of death could be ascertained from her body, especially because of the advanced state of decomposition that had resulted from laying near a river for a number of weeks. On the 1st of January 1970, the day after Jennifer was last seen, a family was picnicking at the Haas Bridge rest area. An eight-year-old girl said to her parents, Mummy, there is a woman asleep under the bush, and stated something about a lack of clothes. Thinking their daughter may have seen a couple having sex, they decided against investigating. Sadly, it is now thought that the little girl may have seen Jennifer the day after she was murdered. There are a lot of conflicting reports from different people who thought they might have had information about the case. A woman named Faye Percy was working at a hostel across from the France Joseph Motor Park on the 30th of December 1969, the day before Jennifer went missing. It was around 4.30pm when a man rang the doorbell. The man at the door had introduced himself as Dave. Faye said as soon as she opened the door she got a bad feeling from this guy and that he seemed drunk. She stated that he was in his late 40s to early 50s, with a big stomach and piercing eyes that looked like they were undressing her. According to Faye, the man told her he had come from the motor park where he had been unable to get accommodation because they were too full. He said to her, Have you got any fucking rooms? The motor camp sent me over here because they are booked out. 
the motor camp owner would later deny that they were booked out or that the man had asked for accommodation. Faye told him, no, I haven't got any spare rooms. The man replied, I've driven over the bloody hill all day. I'm buggered and I want to, be- and I want to go to bed. I haven't had a decent night's sleep. I was camping and it rained. Against her better judgment, Faye told the man that she would see what she could do. She was working alone at the hostel and she felt scared. She felt like it would be better to comply with what the man was asking. The man told her he didn't have much money and got the room for a reduced rate. Faye asked him if he wanted any linen for his bed and he snapped, I've got my bloody sleeping bag outside. Later, she saw the man drive away from the hostel in a 1950-something green Vauxhall that said, please wash me on the back. Faye's report is where the police got the information that Jennifer's killer may have had the please wash me on his car. It was unclear whether this man from the hostel, Dave, was the same man that was seen at the Haast Bridge at around the time it was thought Jennifer was dumped there. At this stage, police were pretty confident that the man the Crossan saw at the bridge was, was, the, was the same way seen giving Jennifer a lift. This suggested that he was the last one to see her alive and the fact that his car was stuck where Jennifer's body was found implicated him in the murder. So who was this man? It wasn't long before the police had a suspect. You might remember that we have been talking about a man called Gordon Bray throughout the episode. Bray became the prime suspect in Jennifer's murder. Two days before police released information to the public about the car the suspect was driving, Bray drove to the Timaru police station and offered his help to police. Despite the fact that Bray came to the police station on his own accord, he was reluctant to divulge much information or enter into a conversation with the officer on duty, Constable Tony Vasta. Constable Vasta had Bray fill out a questionnaire they were having people fill out about their movements at the time of the crime. Police flagged Bray's questionnaire because in a question about hitchhikers, Bray wrote that he hadn't seen any in his drive along the coast. This was near impossible as the coast was absolutely covered in hitchhikers that summer. And even in, like, these days, if you drive along Mm -hmm. through the South Island, there are a lot of hitchhikers. Absolutely, it's a common... Yeah, you can only imagine how many there would have been when hitchhiking was more popular. The next day, Bray came back into the station to give a written statement and gave information that was different to what he had provided the day before, admitting that he had indeed seen and picked up two female hitchhikers. Police were able to find the girls who were picked up at the Coomera Racecourse on the 10th of January and dropped off at the Youth Hotel in Ashburton. While the girls were dropped off safe and well, they both stated that they felt extremely uncomfortable in the car with Gordon Bray. He kept staring at the two girls' legs and almost ran off the road a few times because he was so distracted. The two girls described Bray as being between 45 and 55 years of age and plump with a pot belly, which matched up with many of the witness descriptions of the man they saw with Jennifer on New Year's Eve. Bray seemed to confirm that he had been to a number of places that witnesses had seen the green or blue Vauxhall and pot-bellied man on New Year's Eve. However, while Bray admitted to going to these places, for example the mechanics and the general store, he denied that he was there on that date. 
Bray stated that he wasn't at the Harsbridge rest stop that day either. While witnesses said they saw him drinking at the Forks Hotel later that night, that wasn't a good enough alibi for earlier in the day. Some of Bray's co-workers and relatives reported to the police that he had seemed different after he returned from his trip and seemed to have gone into his shell. On the 22nd of January 1970, Gordon Bray was questioned intensely for six hours at the Timaru police station. While the police tried to convince him that they had good evidence about his involvement in the murder, he felt that they were lying. He reportedly told them to get on with it, believing that they were all talk. They had nothing to charge him on that day and he had to be released. Police hoped that they would be able to find Jennifer's backpack and camera and that they would somehow be able to link them to Gordon Bray, but unfortunately it wasn't to be. To this day, police think that when Bray overtook the Crossan family for the second time, he may have been hiding the backpack and camera. In a police lineup, Glennis and Pauline, members of the family convoy group, picked the same man, but it wasn't Bray. Bill Crossan, the man who helped with the Vauxhall at Haas Bridge, picked Bray, but his wife Jean didn't. Unfortunately, in this case, there was no smoking gun pointing towards Bray or anyone else. Gordon Bray maintained his innocence right up until his death in 2003. There were 33,000 Vauxhalls similar to the one last seen with Jennifer on the day she went missing, so it is impossible to say with certainty who she was travelling with. To this day, Jennifer Beard's murder remains unsolved, and unless there is a radical breakthrough, it is unlikely to be solved. If you, by some miracle, have any information that may assist in bringing Jennifer's killer to justice, please call Crime Stoppers New Zealand on 0800 555 111. Our thoughts go out to Jennifer's family and loved ones. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the True Crime Sisters podcast. Until next time, please stay safe.